Jesus, in this passage, is on his way to Jerusalem about, many people think, to enter into his kingdom. In fact, in the next chapter of Matthew, Jesus enters Jerusalem to a hero's welcome. Now, a lot of people misunderstood the mission of Jesus. And at this point, they think that Jesus is about to usher in his kingdom and that he's about to kick out the Romans. The Romans have ruled Israel for many years, and before that there was a series of conquerors. And so people understand that Jesus is about to be the conquering Messiah, and he's going to set up a kingdom along the lines of the kingdom of David or Solomon. So this mother's request is that James and John sit at the very heart of this new kingdom in places of honor and influence. Well, Jesus tries to correct their misunderstanding. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And again, there's a disconnect. They don't understand him. Jesus uses this same expression the night that he was arrested at Gethsemane, and he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So what he's asking is, Lord, I don't want to die. I don't want to go to this painful death on the cross. And if it's possible, I'd like this cup, this suffering, to pass me by. So he says to James and John, can you drink of this same cup? Well, we know what happened to James and John. Of course, they can't tell this, but James, we read in Acts chapter 12, was the first of the disciples to be a martyr. He was killed by King Herod. John lived a lot longer. John is the old man exiled to the island of Patmos, and we read his vision when we read the book of Revelation. So both of these men did indeed suffer for their faith, and Jesus knows this when he says, you will indeed drink from my cup, but for now, James and John don't understand. And I kind of think it went like this. Jesus was known as a guy who loved a great party. He told great stories. He hung around with the tax collectors and the sinners. He was a man who enjoyed wine. And so I think these two guys looked at each other and said, can we drink the cup? You betcha. <laughs> so Jesus ends the conversation. And he says, well, I'm not the one who has the prerogative to decide who's going to sit at my right and my left. That belongs to the Father, which I think they took as a maybe yes, maybe no. We'll hear about it later. And then comes the real conversation starts off like this. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, and Jesus called them together. Now, what's this about? Well, I think the other disciples probably saw what was happening. There's James and John with their mother, and they say, what was that all about? And they say, well, you know, we're just, we're just trying to figure out what's going to happen. And eventually the story comes out, and this is so pitiful. Why, first of all, why do you think that the other ten were indignant? It says that in some translations they were angry, they were displeased, they were beside themselves. Do you think it was because James and John didn't understand Jesus? Heck no. They want those spots. And the, the most pitiful part of all is that James and John, these two grown men, have played the mommy card. It is so pitiful. <laughs> you mean you got your mom to come and say this? Because what is this? This is so bad. So Jesus calls them together, and he says in three sentences, 
he turns the whole world order upside down. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Since ancient times, status has been measured by the number of servants that you command. In those times, they might have been household servants, they might have been people who worked the farms, but the point was to be at the top. Nowadays, in my corporation, we have an organizational chart which sort of serves the same function. And if you were to look at my org chart, at the top there is William W. Canfield, Chief Executive Officer, and then below that there are a series of directors, and then they have below them people who report to them, and then there are people who report to the reporters, and so forth, down the chain. And so if you show me where you are on your organization's org chart, I can probably get a pretty good idea of what your status is and a pretty good idea of what your pay is and know your value. And Jesus says that's not the way that we determine a person's value. In order to determine that, you really have to start at the back of what Jesus is saying here. He, has, he is telling us that he has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does he mean? Well, the word that Jesus uses for ransom is a word that describes loosening the bonds of a slave. Now, we may think of slavery as a thing of the past, and it might come as a shock to us to hear that there are more people living in slavery in this day than there have ever been in human history. One non-governmental organization says that there are 27 million people living in slavery. Some estimates go as high as 200 million people. In Sudan, for instance, there is a tribe called the Dinka tribe. And those people have been systematically enslaved by a tribe from the north. And the northern tribe comes into Sudan, the southern part, and comes into those villages. And they take men and they take women children of a certain age, they kill without mercy, and then they take the people back to the northern part of the kingdom, and the men there are made to work in horrible manual labor. Women become concubines and bear children and take care of the family cleanups. These people are terribly, cruelly treated, and they cannot extricate themselves from their situation. There are some organizations that will buy men and women in this condition out of their slavery. One organization, for instance, pays the going rate of $100 per person to be bought out of slavery. And I have some pictures of men and women in Sudan who have been bought out of slavery. And now, here are some other people who have been bought out of slavery. 
This is what Jesus tells us he has come to do. He has come to ransom us out of slavery. How does this work? Well, we sang about it earlier in one of the choruses to one of our songs. We sang all hail the power of Jesus' name, and here's what we sang. We sang first, ye saints redeemed of Adam's race, ye ransomed from the fall. The human condition is likened to slavery or to bondage. We are all first like Adam. We are part of Adam's race. We are people who have gone our own way. We are people who have rebelled. And we are people who serve ourselves. And the result of that was the fall. We are ransomed from the fall. The consequences of sin in our lives is terrible. Our rebellion results in death. There is every part of us that has been corrupted by the power of sin in our lives. That is, we don't reason accurately, our bodies decay, our senses are corrupted, and our emotions are fallen. So that every part of us is shot through with sin. And we cannot liberate ourselves from this predicament. This is true of everyone. We are in need of someone to redeem us. And Jesus has paid that ransom price. Jesus paid the price to free us. He paid the price of sin. The price was not $100 like buying a slave out of slavery in Sudan. The price was much costlier than that. Christ paid the price by going to the cross on our behalf. And then we see, Hail him who saves you by his grace. We are saved by God's grace. There is nothing that we bring to our salvation. Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 20 that he has not come to be served, but to serve us. That means that that was his purpose, that was his intention. And when Christ went to the cross, it was intentional and for this purpose. It wasn't some tragic accident. He wasn't the victim of a plot who was helpless, Christ went to the cross to pay our ransom. Think how radical that is. No other religious leader talks like this. In every other religion, what one does is to keep certain rules, to eat the right things, go to church or synagogue or temple, to care for other people. And if we do all those things, then we win God's favor and he will save us. Jesus says the opposite. We can never have God in our debt. There is nothing that we can do to win his favor. Jesus doesn't give us a list of things to do. He's not looking for a moral improvement program. He doesn't wait for us to be better people before he loves us. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us, and he will serve as our ransom. You know that to-do list? That really wouldn't make much difference to us. Most of us know what we need to do. What we need is something much more radical. We need to be bought out of our sinful condition before we can be different people. At the very beginning, I asked my moms those questions. The first one was this. If you could ask for anything for your children, what would you ask for? What is it that's most important? Well, Mrs. Zebedee asks for what she thinks is most important, but she's missed the point, hasn't she? The thing that's most important, the, things that the thing that we should ask for 
for ourselves and for our children would be that Jesus would serve as our ransom so that we can be delivered from our condition. Then I asked my moms a second question, you remember? If you could have your family described in any way, how would you like to have your family described? My moms, I think, said some really good things. But Jesus, I think, gives us three keys to, why, to the way he'd like to see us live together. The first thing is this. We should be people who are discerning. Mrs. Zebedee wants the best for her sons, but she pictures that to be living high on the org chart in a prominent organization. And the other disciples all want the same thing. Let me ask you, what ideology or philosophy or thought process do you think poses the greatest threat to biblical Christianity in our time and place? I think when I was young, I would have said, well, communism. But communism has been discredited. You might say atheism. You might say Islam. I think the greatest threat to biblical Christianity is the American dream with its promise of satisfaction and material success in transitory relationships and in power and influence. Are we discerning people, people who can discern the difference between the American dream and biblical Christianity, satisfaction in the quick fixes that the world has to offer or satisfaction in deep relationship with God and other people? Can we distinguish between the kingdom that the world offers and the kingdom of Christ? Can we distinguish the difference between the cup that is offered by the world and the cup that Jesus offers? So the first thing I think that God wants us to be that Jesus talks about here is people who are discerning. Secondly, people who are forgiving. I think this is more implied than stated in the passage. But as soon as Jesus sees that the disciples are fractious, that they're after each other, that they all want the same thing, he calls them together. And he reminds them that his kingdom offers no place for superiority. Who are we? We are all people who are slaves and who have been redeemed by the work of Christ. So there is no place for grudges. Let me ask you, in your family, in your community, is there a short list of accounts do you hold grudges or are you able to quickly talk to each other and clear up things that might fester between you? Are we people who are forgiving? And then the third thing is that Jesus calls us to be people who are serving. And in this, Jesus is our model. There's, there's a hierarchy of the world that I think we would recognize. And it goes like this, I trust. At the top of the hierarchy are the people who have many servants. They're people who exercise authority. They're the people who are at the top of the org chart. And then there are the people who work for them. There are the people who are the servants, and they're a rung down. In the ancient world, the third rung would have been slaves, people who are not free to move about, who just are stuck with one master and have to do whatever he says. And then the, the, the bottom layer, the very dregs, would have been people who are criminals. And in particular, someone who has been convicted of a capital crime. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, we are told that cursed is anyone who is hung upon a tree. 
That was capital punishment. And that was the bottom of the barrel, absolutely cursed by God. But in the kingdom of God, that hierarchy is reversed, and it looks like this. First of all, at the top is one who has been crucified on a cross as a ransom. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus was obedient to God to the point that he took on flesh and lived among us and was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And because of his obedience, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is at the top of the kingdom of God. Next, Jesus says, who would be first among you? Well, it would be that person who's a slave. And below that, who would be great among you? It's the person who's a servant. And then at the bottom are the people who exercise authority as the Gentiles, who lord it over other people. Now, I don't think this is a statement that we should all drop any position of responsibility. I think what Jesus is looking at is the attitude of our hearts because it is possible to both lead and serve. And that's what Jesus wants for, for, our, for us and from us. He does not want us to, leave, to, to lead as people who lord it over the others on the bottom of the org chart. Okay, so let me ask you, what does your family look like? Is there a real desire to serve others? Are people jumping up to do the dishes after dinner? Or my favorite, to get the trash out to the curb on Mondays and Thursdays? Is there a real desire for service in your family? Is there someone who will offer everybody else in the family the last piece of pie? Is, is there a real desire to serve in your family, in your apartment, or your dorm room? You know, this church feels so strongly about this whole hierarchy and what we should be about as believers that there is an impact that we hope to have not only in our families, in our dorm rooms and apartments, but also in our community. And we have set one day aside each year that we have called after this verse 2028. It's a day that we have an opportunity to serve the community of Kirkwood by serving our community. Kelly Wilmot, I trust Kelly's here? Yes, here she comes. <laughs> Kelly is the staff person who organizes 2028 and offers us the opportunity to put this into action by serving our community. And Kelly's going to talk about 2028. She's making her way here. Good morning. As Tom said, um, I'm Kelly Wilmot, and I am here to talk about 2028 Serve Our City. Um, this is Green Tree's day of service to the greater St. Louis area, and this year is our third year <clears throat> to be doing this event. Um, each year, the ministries and organizations that we serve, um, that grows in number, as does the volunteers that serve with us. Um, this year, uh, sorry, the workday will be held on Saturday, June 9th, um, and today is our kickoff for registration. When you walked into the service, you should have been handed a brochure. Um, and this year, we've redesigned the brochure in order to give you all a little bit more information about the ministries and organizations that we're going to serve 
and the work that we're going to do um, on this day. Uh, although registration does begin today, I would ask that you all would be sure to take some time to look over the brochure before you make your decision um, about where you're going to serve. When you've made that decision, find the registration page, fill it out, and also sign the waiver on the back. Um, you can tear that out and turn it into our registration table, which is out here by the front door. Um, I would like to call your attention to a couple changes that we have made this year. Um, on the very first page of your brochure, you'll notice that the schedule is in writing. Uh, we have changed the order of events this year. We are going to be um, doing the worship service and the pool party on Friday night um, instead of Saturday night. Uh, and this will allow us to prepare our hearts for service and to ask the Lord to bless the work before the day has begun. Uh, the venue will still be the same. The second change that we have made is in the location of the check-in on Saturday morning. This is going to be held at the Essex parking lot on Kirkwood High, at Kirkwood High School. Um, as you may know, each year we select a ministry or organization to highlight. And when we highlight a ministry, uh, we agree to take a donation um, of items that are, they are in need of. Um, we also donate any extra funds that are um, raised for the day that we don't use. We donate that to the ministry. Um, in years past, we have highlighted Lydia's House and Kids Smart, and this year I am pleased to announce that we are going to be highlighting Jubilee Community Church, uh, which is located on North Grand in St. Louis City. Jubilee Community Church is led by Pastor Leroy Gill and has a vision to touch the community in which they live and worship. Uh, they recently purchased an old grocery store and are in the process of converting it into their place of worship and eventually a Christian school. Jubilee runs many ministries off of a very small budget, and they need our help. Um, they have asked if we could help them by collecting aluminum cans that will be turned in for money. Um, they've also asked if we would collect um, classroom items and playground equipment. There's many displays up here for you to see that. Um, if you would, take a moment in your brochure and um, find the complete list of donation items. Um, it is, if you go all the way to the back of your brochure, it's towards the back, and it is the page that is just before your registration page. Um, this morning we have a write-in item that I need you to add. Uh, Jubilee also is in need of computers. Um, they need computers that run on the XP operating system. They can use desktops and laptops, and they do not need to be in working order. Um, and they also will take any computer accessories, so um, printers or whatever else goes with computers. Um, bring all of the donation items, um, anything that you are going to bring for donation, bring that on Saturday morning on June 9th to Kirkwood High School. Um, as we um, have just been hearing a message about serving, uh, I also just want to take a moment to challenge um, everyone to um, not just fill out your brochure for or your registration for yourself, but think of someone that God would have you invite to serve with you. Um, and I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you or the people you're going to talk with in the hallway or your small group. Um, I'm talking about people that aren't here, family members, friends, coworkers, classmates, um, people that, that maybe don't have a church home. Um, serving is a universal concept, and therefore this event is a non-threatening way to invite people um, to learn more about Green Tree and to see um, kind of a little bit more of who we are. So thank you so much for your time, and um, I am excited to serve with you on June 9th. Okay, let's wrap up. It seems like we've been a lot of places this morning. I want to go back to my mom talk for just a minute and the two questions that I ask there. If you could ask for anything, 
for your children, for yourself, for your family, what would you ask for? Well, Jesus says that he has come to serve as our ransom, and that is the most valuable thing we could hope for for ourselves or for others. It seems so easy. We don't have to do anything. He serves us. Is there more to it? Well, yes, there is. It involves saying that we are unable to deliver ourselves from our present condition and that we cannot extricate ourselves without the work of Christ on the cross. So it means admitting our shortcomings. It's not easy to do. So in one, in one sense, it's cheap. In the other sense, it's hard. Is that something you've done this morning, allowed Christ to serve as your ransom? The second question I asked was, how would you like your family to be described? Or how would you like to live in community? And we talked about people who are discerning, who are forgiving, and people who are serving. Are you that kind of person? If not, you want to ask Christ to do the work that he can do in your life, to change you into the kind of person he would like you to be. Let's pray for a minute. Lord, we thank you for your work on our behalf. We thank you that you have come to pay the ransom price, and there was nothing that we can do to deserve that, but it is given to us strictly out of your good grace. We pray that we would respond to that call, that we would be willing to acknowledge where we've fallen short. And we pray, Lord, that we would follow your example, that we would be also people who are willing to serve each other, people who are discerning, people who are forgiving, people who are serving. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.